0: I want to continue to speak this morning on holiness. Holiness is a big topic. Holiness is a, is a fun topic. Holiness is something that will lead us into a relationship with Jesus. Last week we began the discussion on legal, legalism versus holiness. Legalism versus holiness. Today we're going to continue to discuss the pursuit of holiness while avoiding the pitfalls of legalism. And the other extreme of becoming a libertarian, where almost anything goes. Those are the two, two directions that people go when they don't like holiness. When holiness doesn't seem to fit them, they will either revert to being a legalistic type of a person or a Christian, or they will revert to saying, well, we're saved by grace, God's going to forgive me, so therefore I can basically do whatever I want because, hey, we're in the era of grace. And uh, we talked about last week how dangerous that is because that actually can become a trampling of God's grace and it can be very, very serious and that maybe there will be no more forgiveness for that kind of sin over and over. I think it's important that we realize that our upbringing has quite a bit to do with either our struggle to be free from being a legalist. If you were brought up in a legalistic background, I was. Grew up in the Assemblies of God. I grew up in a holiness-based church. I grew up being a legalistic type of a kid. I grew up because we were told what to do and what, and, and not necessarily explained why, but just told what. And um, I fell into a legalistic mindset. And, and I will say that once a legalist, it's hard to break it. I'll be honest with you. It's a hard thing to break out of that mindset. I need the grace of God. I need the love of Jesus in my life more and more to help me to embrace the holiness without being the legalistic side of it. And I'm praying that God will just continue to bring freedom in my life in that way. And maybe you as well. At the same time, there are those that have been brought up not in a Christian home. And for you, anything has gone forever, and there was never any guilt or condemnation or guilt or shame or because of some of the things you did and and so now you walk into a Christian setting, and all of a sudden you look at it and say, "Well, I could do this then, so why can 't I do this now?" and you become a, a, a the issue of of, of a liberty based person, or anything goes and and we don 't want to fall in either one of those camps we want to find that holiness. Uh, with the relationship of Jesus. So we want to continue to talk about that today. The, uh, the key to being holy, and you can fill in the blanks with the underline. I'm giving you the hint here. You can fill in the blanks where it's underlined. There's something for you to fill out. <laughs> the key to being holy while avoiding the trap of legalism is to understand that God is looking at the heart of a man. And if that heart is holy, then God can have a relationship with him where holiness and relationship are a product of God's love. We aren't doing the things of holiness to earn God's love. Do you understand that? We're not doing that to become saved. No, we are living a holy life, we are living a righteous life, we're living a sanctified, set-apart life as a product because we're saved, because Jesus died for us and His saving grace saves us, then I have a desire in my heart to live for Him and please Him in an uncompromising way, not in a legalistic way, but, is, but in a way of love and appreciation and gratitude. It's really important that we understand that because a person that is striving to earn their own salvation through their own efforts of good works, they may be doing all the right things yet with the wrong heart motives. Therefore, it's not based on God's love, mercy, or His grace. And it doesn't result in relationship, and it doesn't result in holiness. You see, if I'm doing things of my own effort, if I'm doing things of my own um, ability, where I'm not depending upon the empowering grace, that doesn't lead to holiness. Because remember, God's looking at the heart of a man. And if my heart is about me, about me doing something to serve God and to please God, That's not pleasing God. It it may be the right thing to do, but with the wrong motive. And God looks at the heart, doesn't he? And he looks there first, and then from there we go to the outside. It's a Holy Spirit work beginning in. It's beginning in the heart of a man, and that love then embraces, that man embraces the love of Christ, and and then the changes that he would make are from the inside out based upon the holiness of the Holy Spirit that is making him want to do the things that please the Lord. So as we continue to move forward, it's my prayer for all of us that we would welcome the transformation, that we would welcome the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us so that we could do and live in the fullness of holiness in a way that pleases the Lord. And that we would anticipate and welcome the changes because there are going to be changes. We are not holy when we come into this world. We come into this world in a sinful, broken relationship. And it's only through the blood of Christ, through the saving grace of Christ that we become holy and then we need to recognize how to stay there. There must be some things that change. Let me do a quick review of holiness. Holy life. A holy life is a happy life. I don't want you to think that holiness is boring. Holy, a holy life is a happy life, a life of freedom from all forms of guilt and shame, a life that gives peace, assurance of purpose, fulfillment without any loss of excitement and enjoyment in this life. And then we're looking forward to the grand life of eternity that is beyond our imagination. I mean, we've done heaven studies here, and I'm telling you what, I get so excited when I think about heaven. I get so excited when I let my imagination run wild because it is clearly beyond our ability to even comprehend what God has in store for us. And so holiness now is really living my life now that I can anticipate heaven. And it's a great thing. And and the nice thing about holiness is that when I live a holy life here, I don't have any guilt. I don't have any shame. I don't have to feel bad about what I did last night. I don't have to feel bad about what I watched last night. I don't have to feel bad about what happened or what I did with my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whatever the situation is because I didn't do anything wrong because I was protecting my heart through a holy life. And that gives me peace. It gives me assurance. It gives me joy that's beyond anything else in this world. Joseph Carlyle, the Puritan preacher, says, Holiness is the aim of the saints on earth and the reward of heaven. Holiness is the aim of the saints on earth and the reward of heaven. We must understand that God has nothing bad in store for us. No matter what God asks us to do, it will never hurt you. It may hurt pain you a little bit. You may have to discipline yourself. You may have to stretch yourself. You may have to deny yourself, but it will never be for your harm. What God asks you to do or what he says not to do will always protect you. He will never do anything to hurt you. You must recognize that God loves you so much that his love will never hurt But yet there's a battle between the legalistic mindset and the libertarian mindset. Many people struggle with God's word as being too much or too harsh or too demanding or too restrictive or too over the top. And they struggle with that and they they think there must be a better way. There must be an easier way to heaven. There must be an easier way to the heart of God because it's just too hard. God's just too restrictive. And when we have that kind of mindset, we start making up our own ways of finding God. We start making up our own ways, our own rules. And that turns into a list of man-made rules and regulations that, that, that we're either adding or we're taking away from God's word. And if we go too far in that opposite direction, we soon fall into that legalistic or that libertarian lifestyle. Either one. Either one or bad. We don't want to fall either one. We don't want to be legalistic in it. We want to be disciplined. We want to have holy conviction. But the holy conviction comes when I understand why God says don't do that. It's not just that he's saying don't do it. No, I understand why. And when I understand the pitfalls of alcohol and drugs and sex and pornography and and, and all the other stuff that the Lord says no to or even in those shady gray areas where we're not really sure if he's saying yes or no to it. Like I think drinking is one of those gray areas. But I think when we take a look at it and see for what it really can do or really where it leads us, I think our heart, if we're chasing after God in a holy way, If we truly are seeking Him and want to be as close to Him as we can, we won't allow any of those gray areas to turn dark on us. And so, quite honestly, my recommendation is just to say, no, thank you. Let's just not even go there. I mean, it's not going to do anything good for you. I I, I don't want to... I've never heard... Let me just say this and move on. I've never heard anybody that is a drinker ever say that that made them better. But I know of people, myself included, that say when I, when I can say no thank you, I don't have regrets. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have the hangover. <laughs> I don't have the hangover of regrets and shame and guilt. Amen. And therefore I have joy and peace. All right? So let's, there are some things like that that when I know why I don't do some things, when I know why uh, we don't watch certain movies and certain things, it helps me to just not do them. And when I can just not do them, it's not legalistic. It's a holy conviction. And I live by holy convictions because I know why. I know why I do things and I know why I don't do things. And that, you know what that's called? Education, knowledge, revelation, knowledge. It's called reading God's word. It's called reading good books. It's called listening to good sermons and and, te- and being with good people. It, that's why. That's how we learn. The other side is, is to be the, the, the libertarian, where we can do anything and we can we can go any way and we can say that we can do anything. Boy, that's just as dangerous. In fact, that's probably even more dangerous because we run into that into that area of where we can start trampling the grace of God. And we talked about that last week in Hebrews chapter ten. It talks about how we can go so far there. I would I would ask you to go read Hebrews chapter ten, beginning at verse I think it's twenty six in that area. Go back and read that today. Write, write that down. go back and read that. and In fact, read the whole chapter 10 because it gives you some good insight. And then go back and read chapter 6 of Hebrews. It talks about the libertarian lifestyle is a very dangerous lifestyle because it allows us, supposedly, to start thinking we can do whatever we want to do and God's going to be okay with it. And when we get into that lifestyle... And we start doing things, premeditating our sin, and then thinking, well, then Jesus has to forgive us because he died for us, therefore we live in grace. And God, you have no choice but to forgive me when I ask. That's, can I tell you, first of all, that's not even true. God doesn't have to forgive you when you ask. If the Holy Spirit isn't drawing a man, think about this. If the Holy Spirit doesn't initiate it, you can't force God to do anything. Now, thank God the Holy Spirit initiates think, uh, the, pull, the call to us on a regular basis. But I will say that a man can, can say no to the Holy Spirit too many times. He can reject the Holy Spirit one too many times, and the Holy Spirit will say, fine, I'm going to stop drawing you, have it your way. And the Bible says that, that at that point that God turns that person over to their reprobate mind. And he says, okay, fine, if, if you want to live that lifestyle, Fine, live that lifestyle. Your choice, your consequences. But I'm done. There can that can happen. If you if uh, but if you feel the pressure, if you feel the the, the 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 tension, if you feel the angst when you hear sermons like this, rest assured that the Holy Spirit's still drawing. But don't test them in it. Don't push them away. It's time to repent. It's time to say, Father, forgive me. It's time to say, Lord, forgive me one more time and then start living in that lifestyle of holiness. I referenced a book last week and I'll reference it again this week, a book written by Dr. Michael Brown. The title of that book is Go and Sin No More. It's really a good book. He says this. He says, the fact is there is no need to bounce from one extreme to the other. In other words, legalism or libertinarias. Somebody somebody say it with me. Libertarianism. Wow, that's a hard word. Libertarianism. There's no need to bounce between those two extremes. Rather, spirit-empowered holiness, not sin-driven license, is the biblical option to legalism. Spirit-empowered holiness. Not self holiness, not self-justifications, not sin-driven license, not legalism of any sense in it at all, but spirit-empowered holiness. So I want to take the time today to emphasize and learn more about what that means for us. Last week, remember, the source of holiness in a person comes as a result of having a true relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's all based on love. Holiness is a direct result of a person's having a true relationship, capital letters, relationship with Jesus, and having the empowering grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that would help us to live in obedience to every word that Jesus spoke. I think that the writer in John says this about obedience. John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says this. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. I don't think we need to really explain that passage too much. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Anyone who loves me will do what? Obey. And then what will happen? My Father in heaven will love them in a different sense than just loving all mankind. He will love them as a father because when we become a child of God through salvation, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we're adopted into a new family now. And we have a heavenly Father now. And that Father has a fatherly love for us that is a love that is bigger than just the love of a creation it's the love of a father that cares about you and that will discipline you and discipline me and reward me and bless me and bless you based upon the things that we do in obedience to Jesus. There's a lot of ifs in the Bible when it comes to blessing, there's a lot of ifs when it comes to God's favor. God loves everybody, but He favors and He blesses His children. And His children are the ones that have accepted Christ and then through a holy conviction obey Him over and over again. And we don't play the game of how close can I live to the world and still be a Christian? There's nothing pleasing in that. How close can I live to the world and still be considered a Christian? What a, I'm going to say the word, stupid mentality. Seriously, what, what intelligence is there when a person says, I'm going to try to live as close to the world, I'm going to see how much I can get away with and still be a Christian? Why would you do that? I would say that that person that has that mindset, can I say this? They're probably not even a Christian. They're probably not even following Jesus. They may they say, I love God. Well, if you love God, know what you're going to do. You're going to obey Him. <laughs> if you're not obeying Him, you don't love Him. I I heard so many people say, well, my wayward son or my wayward daughter, they really love God. Well, they don't love God. If they're not obeying him, they're not loving God. Let's just say it for what it is. We can love people, and I don't say that in a mean way, and I don't say that in a way that is abusive and hurtful. I'm just saying it in truth because the Bible says it very clear here, very clear. This is all about love, relationship, Obedience and holiness. That verse that we just read wraps all those up into one package. It's all about love, relationship, obedience, and holiness. All those things blend together in a life of a person that's pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, there's so much to talk about and how we get to the point of we see where God's love is coming inside of the man. I want to go back and do a little history here, okay? Second Corinthians, Paul talks to the readers of Corinthians, and he's trying to tell them about the Old Testament and how the Old Testament laws converted finally into a New Testament covenant. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning of verse 6, this is in a Living Bible Translation, He is the one who has helped us tell others about this new agreement to save them. We do not tell them that they must obey every law of God or die, but we tell them there is life for them from the Holy Spirit. The old way, the Old Testament, the old way, trying to be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments ends in death. In the new way, the Holy Spirit gives them life. Now, Paul is saying here that the message of the gospel is not about legalistically keeping the law. But rather, the law fulfilled in the life of Christ through the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit gives life. The whole testament law is important, but law without the power of grace is deadly. It can't save us. The law of the Old Testament can tell you where you're wrong, but the law can't save. The saving grace of Christ brings the law to life in our lives, working on the inside of us. Because the law is now written on the heart of men that is softened by the love of God, that now that law is within within me. No longer is it an old testament commandment, but it is a law of life in me because of the grace of Christ's sacrifice. He goes on, in fact you go back to verse three in Second Corinthians chapter three. They can see that you are a letter from Christ written by us. It is not a letter written with pen and ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. And here's the key point. Not one carved on stone, but in human hearts. The Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, was written on a tablet of stone. But now through the blood of Christ, it's written on human hearts. The worldly perspective that leads to legalism basically is saying that anyone that lives by the letter of the law or the Bible is legalistic and too demanding. But Paul is saying that the law or the Bible is good, but it must not be written in stone as in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, but now it's written on the human heart by the Holy Spirit. It's the internal revelation of this law that saves and frees, not the outward stone of a hard law. It's a matter of the heart of the relationship of that person being more molded by God, not concerned about the outward appearance as much as the inward appearance of what the heart is. Because remember, God sees the heart. If you read the rest of chapter 3, it will give you much more understanding. Verses 17 and 18 It says here that God has established the laws for people to follow that would enable them to be sacrificially holy through the blood of animals. But once Jesus came and became became the perfect sacrifice, and he eternally removes the sin, whereas the animal sacrifice was a temporary sin covering for a year, but Jesus' blood eternally removes it, and now we move from an outward motivation to an inward motivation because we're motivated by love through the indwelling and empowering grace and work of the Holy Spirit that now lives in men once they've received Jesus as their Savior. Second Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, the Lord is the Spirit who gives him life. And where he is, there is freedom from trying to be saved by keeping the laws of God. But we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord and as the spirit of the Lord works where within us we become what? More and more like Jesus. Man, that's powerful. To think that the Lord is going that the Holy Spirit's going to work inside of Jeff or Chad or Angel or Jim or even me. He's going to work inside of us, and He's he's going to make us more like Jesus. It's not me making myself like Jesus. It's not me being religious. No, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the power. That's the beauty of God's holiness is that it's based on the inner heart of a man, and that is exactly what God intended for us because that's the way God intended creation from the very beginning. He made Adam and Eve holy on the inside. He gave them a heart image of His heart. That's how we were created in the image of God. We talked about it in the Sunday school today. The image of God that we're created in is not with our ears and eyes and nose, but it's in the the heart image. we're, We're the same creation as God inside in the heart. That's why I can't be satisfied until I have God in my heart. That's why I truly can't live a life in this world and be content. Until I have the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in me, making me more like Christ. As we become more and more like Christ, that's the place that God can have relationship with us. That is how God had impregnated the law of God on Adam and Eve's heart in the spirit of holiness. Because Adam and Eve were holy, God could walk with them in the cool of the day. He could come into the garden, and they could walk and talk. And, you know, um, it's an amazing thing. I don't know how much Adam was innately given by God when it came to knowledge. But I do know that they had relationship, and so God could speak into Adam and Eve's life on a regular basis. He didn't have a Bible. (laughs) They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have any of that. They just had the relationship with God the Father that would come down and walk with Adam and Eve. Why? Because they were holy. Because they didn't have sin in their life. Because they had nothing to block that relationship and they could have holy communion and God could impart wisdom and knowledge and revelation to them and give them great responsibility. But then sin came into the world. Sin came in and it destroyed it all. It broke the relationship. The heart was then hardened. The law that was written on Adam and Eve's heart no longer could be written on it because the heart was hardened by sin. The relationship hardened the heart. And so now God came and more men and women were born and raised and the, 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 the world was populated and God had to have a way of communicating, but he couldn't communicate to them anymore like he did with Adam and Eve because the heart was hardened. So the only way he could give them law was through the stone, was through a tablet and an outward law. And that was how they had to do it. They had to live the outward law, and then they had to have animal sacrifices on a regular basis to atone for their sin temporarily until the new covenant came, which is Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Matthew five seventeen, this is Jesus speaking. He says, don't misunderstand why I came. It isn't to cancel the laws of Moses and the warnings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them and make them all come true. So Jesus, when he came in the New Testament, as as God uh, embodied in human form, he didn't come to erase all of the laws of the Old Testament. He came to fulfill them, meaning that the moral laws of the Old Testament still apply today. Now, thankfully, the civil laws and the social laws of Israel the laws of sacrifice, and the codes of their eating uh, habits and all that kind of stuff, that doesn't pertain to us because that was their law at that time for that people, but they're not the moral laws. But the moral laws, the righteous laws of God as in the, the Ten Commandments, they're still for us today. And Jesus didn't come to cancel the moral laws. He came to give them power to give us life. Amen. He came, the moral laws aren't abolished. They're fulfilled. And now they're not just written in a book anymore. They're written on our hearts. The Holy Spirit writes them on our hearts. And that's how Jesus fulfilled them. So I just want to stop and pause you just for a minute. I want to make sure that we're getting the point made and make sure that everyone's getting a clear understanding of what, what we've been talking about. God created men to be holy so that man can have a relationship with God the Father. It's impossible for a man or a woman to have complete inner peace unless they have a heart Holy relationship it's impossible it's impossible for a man to have peace in his heart without the presence of the Lord they might have temporary respites they may have temporary moments of joy but it's impossible to have peace no matter what the world says and all the wisdom of mankind there is nothing in this world that will give peace and a true sense of contentment until a person surrenders and submits to the spirit of holiness given by the Holy Spirit. Men will chase after it. They'll try to fill it up with everything they can. They will try to um, erase the void. They'll try to fill it with all kinds of stuff. You can throw away all the self-help books. You can throw away all those books that talk about the ways that are going to make you fuller and make your relationships better, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, those books mean nothing. I will tell you they mean nothing. The only book that will satisfy you is the Bible. And you get in and you understand the Word of God and you understand and start applying biblical concepts to your life, revelation knowledge of your life, that will bring peace. That will bring contentment. While on the other hand, the devil is doing everything he can to try to twist it all around. He's still trying to get us to look and work on everything else except the Bible, except holiness, because the devil knows the truth. He can't tell it, but he knows it. He can't speak it because he's a liar, but he knows it because he saw it. He saw heaven in its grandeur. He saw heaven in its perfect peace. He knows what it's about, but he rejected it. He has no way to get back to it, so therefore his plan is to take you with him and me with him. He wants to destroy all that he can and take as many as he can with him because he knows the truth. He just can't speak it. And we all know people, and maybe we were at one like them, that have chased after everything we can in this world to try to fill that empty void in our heart. We try to chase after things, wealth, toys, recreation, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it is, we try to fill this, this gap in our heart with something else that's trying to give us pleasure and peace, and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest men of, that ever lived, is a good example. I would encourage you to go back and read the whole book of Ecclesiastes. There's so much in it. He says in this chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, Solomon speaking, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun and then he says a little bit later in that verse he says this is this is the only answer that a man, that a man will find that will give him peace beginning of verse 24 a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil this too i see is from the hand of god for without him who can eat or find any and find enjoyment to the person who pleases him listen to the person who pleases him god gives wisdom knowledge and happiness but to the sinner He gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Amen. It's my hope and intention that we're making holiness our goal, our aim here, so that we can then uh, have a meaningful life in this life. So now I want to give you four or five suggestions. How do we do this? How do we live a holy life without falling into trap of legalism? Because it's easy to. It's easy to, to begin down the path of holiness only to find ourselves maybe getting cooled off in our love or cooled off in this thing, and all of a sudden we, we, just, we know what we're supposed to do, so we just keep doing it, but maybe we forget why we're doing it. So here's, a, here's some suggestions. Number one, make every effort to keep your first love. Make every effort to keep your first love. Do you remember the moment that you were saved? Do you remember the joy... That you felt? Do you remember what it's like to have that load of sin lifted off your back and the the freedom you felt? Seek that. Don't let that slip away. Remember your first love. Keeping our focus on the love of God is the key to keeping our heart away from an earthly focus. If we focus on the earth too much, if we focus on the things of this world too much, we will have a tendency to cool off our love. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your eyes, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The more I keep my eyes focused on heaven, the more I keep thinking on eternal things, the better off i'm going to, the better chance i'm going to have of keeping that first love alive don't get too enamored with the things of this world matthew 6:19 and 21 through 21 do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal and this is the key verse for where your treasure is say it There your heart will be also. So if your treasures are here, your heart will be here. Versus if your treasures are in heaven, your heart will be in heaven. You know what that helps? That helps us keep our first love alive. That helps us to do the things without being legalistic. It helps us to do the things because we love God and because we're cherishing our relationship with Him. Number two, live a life of thanksgiving and praise. Live a life of thanksgiving and praise. A heart of worship will pretty much keep one from falling into a legalistic mindset. Kind of like we did earlier today, where we just recognize who the Lord is. And sometimes, you know, you may not even feel it, but when you just keep your mind set and say, Lord, I know you're worthy. I know you're worthy. I know that the sun is still shining above the clouds, as Bob Moody read, as long as we know that we keep a heart of attitude and, and a thanksgiving and praise, that will help us in our love and will help us in our actions and will help us in our heart. Keeping a grateful heart and a praising heart rather than becoming a grumbler or a complainer. Psalms 119, verses 7 and 8. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake. The psalmist understood what it was to have a grateful heart. I will praise you, and I will learn your righteous laws, and I will obey them because of thanksgiving. A person that is truly in a loving, personal relationship with the Lord will have a natural and authentic sense and desire to be thankful for the provisions that God brings. You may not be the wealthiest person, but you can be the most thankful person. You may not have the newest car, but you can be thankful for the one that you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you may not have the biggest house, but you have a roof over your, over your head, and I can be thankful for that, and I can have a grateful heart for that, and I can say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for from keeping me from the, from the grip of greed, thinking I always have to have more, always have to have better than a neighbor. No, thank you. I can have a thankful heart. I can also have a thankful heart for the tests of life, because they're going to come. They're going to come. But, but I can be thankful for the tests because I know that God is accomplishing His plan, His will in those tests. Psalm 138, verses 1 through 3, and then 7 and 8. says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praises before the, before the gods. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. But then he goes on to verse 7. He says, "Though I am surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand and the power of your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out his plans for my life for your faithful love, O oh Lord, endures forever." You see, God is in all things. And, and, and as long as you're a righteous man and long as you're living a holy life, everything that happens to you will work out for your benefit according to God's Word. Amen? Live with a life of gratitude. Number three, be very conscious of your sin and shortcoming. To avoid a legalistic mindset, be very conscious of your sins and your shortcomings because we all have them. Don't try to ignore them. Don't try to run away from them. But be aware of them. Be conscious. Once again, a person that has a true relationship with the Lord will always have that first look at himself rather than having a comparison with other people. I'm not going to compare myself against Joe. and As long as I'm better than Joe, I'm good. No, I'm not going there. I need to read scriptures like it says in Psalm 11. Psalm, Psalm 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everything, everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. Did you hear that? The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. Examine yourself. But I thought you said God loves everybody, Mike. Well, he does. See, but the problem here is that people that continually fall back on a love card God loves me, God loves me, they're probably also the people that are not recognizing that God has another card called justice. God is both loving and God is just. We often want to just see the loving side of God. We have to make sure that we are loving the things that God loves, hating the things that God hates, and doing it with a heart of holy conviction, not a heart of legalism, not a heart of judgment, not a heart of condemnation. Not a heart of self-righteousness, but a heart of, Lord, I love you, and I want to do the things that please you, so examine me. Examine me. Psalm 26, verses 1 through 3. Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance in your faithfulness. Go back and read these verses. Go back and let these verses sink in. Paul, said, Paul warned those in the Corinthians, the Corinth uh, church. He said, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? We are to examine our hearts. Again, not a legalistic mindset, but in a way of holiness, holy conviction. Lord, am I really living for you the way you want me to? Examine myself. And then finally, number four. Learn to appreciate the beauty of holiness. Learn to appreciate the beauty of holiness. When we can understand that holiness is the exact representation of Christ. Let me say that again. When I can understand that holiness is the exact representation of Christ, holiness is beautiful. Holiness is something to be desired. Holiness is something I want to attain because until I can become the representation of Christ, I can't have a relationship with God. Because God has relationship with those that are holy. Jesus prayed for us. John 7, chapter 17, verse 20. This is Jesus saying, I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent. That's relationship. That's the beautiful thing that Jesus is praying that we would see the beauty of being holy as God sees holiness so that we can have relationship. That's beautiful. Jackie, if you would come. I want to conclude this morning. I just want to review. The key to being holy while avoiding the trap of legalism is to understand that God is looking at the heart of a man. And if that heart, meaning your heart, meaning my heart, if our heart is holy, then God can have relationship with us. Now, I understand that we're not perfect. And this is not a message of perfection. This is a message of repentance. This is a message of God's empowering grace. This is a message of hope, knowing that as I'm yearning to be more like Christ, as I'm striving to be more like Christ, I have a holy conviction that is based on God's love for me and that I am simply a big mirror reflecting that love back to God through my obedience, through my holiness, because God loves me so much examine your heart and say, Lord, am I holy enough? Have, have you forgiven me? Would you please forgive me, Father? If, I, if there's any sin in your life, if there's anything that would be a hindrance, you can take care of that right now by saying, just forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus. I truly, truly need your wisdom. I need your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, now let's sing the song that Jackie's playing. and Let's celebrate a little bit here. Let's thank him for what he's done. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. i okay. Father, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. Lord, we just thank you. And Lord, now I pray that the message today and the revelation knowledge that you've poured into our hearts, Lord, would just go with us throughout this week. Lord, let us not forget what we're we're learning. Let us not forget what it means to apply the blood of Christ to everything in our life. Lord, that we would seek holiness, that we would seek you, Father, from the inside out, that we would invite your presence with us to go with us throughout this week and to protect us. Protect us from the temptations of this world. Lord, just give us victory. Help us to walk joyful, Lord, and, and let people look at us and, and say, what is, what is going on with you? What's happening? And we can say it's all because of Jesus. Let us live with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our life throughout this week. Pray your blessing on us all today. I rest, I pray, God, your conviction would stay with us. Your Holy Spirit conviction would go with us as well. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We give you praise. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.